Go ahead and find a way back to a pew. You don't have to go back to where you started. You can sit down where you are, make a new friend. We're pretty friendly here at Coastline. Thanks so much for stepping into that four minutes of family. Hey, as we get rolling, can I just give a shout out to anybody who's on our tech team? Can we give a round of applause to our tech team? We love you guys, not only the guys serving today, but those that serve a bunch. Um, they're the folks that show up way before you, and they leave way after you. And so I think they're just worthy of uh, getting some uh, recognition from the community and all that they do behind the scenes to make this work. So thank you guys. We love you. And uh, yeah, we had a fantastic time. I hope, as Hunter said, you got an opportunity to engage in the uh, family um, I wanted to say barbecue, but it was more of a, what are we calling them? Brunch, thank you. I'm like, potluck, no, barbecue, no, yes. <laughs> Brunch. So we had a fantastic one. People made stuff way better than I could have made at home, and that is the beauty of living in community, amen? Amen. So we hope you just got an opportunity to be part of that. They were just successful and wonderful, and uh, we'll do that again. Make sure that you sign up and don't miss that. Um, hey, as I begin our time this afternoon, I love the Bible. Anybody else? I mean, it's church, right? Like you, even if you don't, you kind of have to be like, yeah, I love the Bible too, Garrick, right? But I really do love the Bible, and here's why. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that it is the, the word of God. It's living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It has the ability, like no other writing, because it's revelatory, uh, revelation from God, to pierce your heart and mind. It says that it cuts you to the quick, and it has the, uh, the power to judge the, the inner workings of your heart and mind, your, your thoughts and your attitudes. And have you ever had this experience where you open up the Bible and you're reading something that you have read 10 times? You've read it 50 times. If you're my age, maybe you've read it 100 times, and you're like, oh, yes, here we are in Acts chapter 2 yet again, and, you know, Pentecost is upon the people, and the Holy Spirit comes rushing in like a violent wind and fills the room and all of a sudden tongues of fire, you know, sit on each person that's in the room, all 120 gathered there, and then they begin to speak in other languages. And as I looked into this passage this week, it was just really amazing to me because before I studied this week, I would have told you the miracle of Pentecost. I would have said the miracle of Pentecost is this. And actually, after my study this week, I back up and I say, no, actually, it's something different. Have you had that experience where you open up the word of God and you know the passage and yet the Holy Spirit with God's truth penetrates your heart and brings out this new diamond, this new truth for you to apply today? See, I had that experience. And if I were to ask you, hey, what was the miracle in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4? What happened at Pentecost? Some of you might say, well, the miracle was the, the rushing wind. Or, or the miracle was this tongues of fire resting on God's people. Or maybe you'd say the miracle is speaking in another language. And it would all be part of the miracle of God and what he's working there. It's the manifestation of the coming of the Spirit. And see, before I did the study this week, I would have said, look, at Pentecost, the real miracle is the power of God on display given to his people through the Holy Spirit. And again, I would have been partially right because that is the manifestation of the miracle. But as I studied this week, I realized, no, the miracle of Pentecost is actually deeper than that. 
The wind, the tongues, the languages, and the power are all just a result of the true miracle at Pentecost. And that miracle, I would say, is joining. This idea that God, who we just sang to, the eternal living God, Yahweh, who created everything with a breath, whose robe fills the temple, whose glory is magnified in the most beautiful moment that you ever see on earth. That God has come and he's joined himself intimately and eternally with you. I don't know about you, but I gotta step back for a minute and go, what? The God of the universe who created it all has intimately and eternally united himself, joined himself through the Holy Spirit to you. And what I'd like to do with the rest of our time is just kind of unpack what that means, that, that God has come and the mir true miracle of Pentecost is joining. So if you'll let me, let, us, let me pray for our time as we open up God's word together, and uh, we'll open it up, and I'm sure God is going to give each one of us a new idea, a new thought, something new to apply to our lives. Because again, the word of God is never void. It is always active. And I believe commingled with the Holy Spirit, he wants to do a deep work tonight. So will you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to open up your word. Lord, I pray that your truth would come to bear in our minds and in our hearts. Father, thank you that you're active in our life. Lord, as Hunter mentioned, God, it has been quite a week, and it's quite a day already. And Father, we pray that as the author of life, would you continue to protect life? Father, we think of the, the mass loss of life that happened in Afghanistan a few days ago. And Lord, we know that as tragic as that is, there are things happening around the world like that all the time. So, Father, we ask as the protector and creator of life, would you move and work? And, Father, would you protect the most vulnerable? And, Father, as we get this great opportunity to look into your word together, we pray that we would just be open, that our minds would be open, that our hearts would be open, that we'd be ready to receive what you have to reveal to us in our time together. Father, thank you that we are your beloved children that you have authored us, that you have authored this day, that the promise of Scripture that you are with us, Father, from um, Exodus 14, 14, that you are fighting for us. And so, God, in this moment, would you help us just to rest into what you have? In your name we pray. Amen. So here we are. We find ourselves in Acts chapter 2. Let me read the first few verses for us. Luke pens this, he says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what, what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So let's stop for a moment right here. And here we are at Pentecost. The 120 are gathered in this upper room. And all of a sudden, something happens that as we engage in the beginning of Acts, to us as outsiders looking in and reading the text, it can seem a little bit foreign. 
right? Like, okay, we've just cho- chose a 12th disciple, and now they're hanging out. And all of a sudden, God shows up in this violent wind and these tongues of fire, and they're given these other languages. And for us, we go, wait a minute, this is uh, unique at the best, maybe, maybe even foreign. What is happening here? But you have to remember that there's great continuity in this miraculous miracle for those that are followers of God. And what I mean by that is there's great continuity in what's happening. Think with me about when Jesus died on the cross. When did Jesus die? It was right before Passover, right? That was no accident. See, in the life of the Jews, the the people of God, there were three what they called pilgrim festivals every year. Three reasons why the Jews would travel to Jerusalem and spend time there celebrating. One was Passover, and they were celebrating the exodus, right? The, the fact that through Moses, God had saved his people from the Egyptians and they're headed out of Egypt and he had saved them by bringing this angel that killed the firstborn, but all of his people and their firstborn were saved. Why? Because they killed a lamb and they put blood on the doorposts, right? That was the celebration of Passover. Friends, it was no accident that Jesus died right before Passover, It's like God was saying, look, you know this festival, you celebrated it year after year after year, this Passover lamb that you celebrate that I spared your firstborn. And now here's Jesus who John is going to say in John chapter one, look, there goes the lamb of God who saves the world from their sin. And so it's very much set up saying, you're supposed to understand this death as Jesus is the lamb of God who died to take away the sin of the world, right? Well, here we are at Pentecost, and these things happen, and we look at it, and we go, wait, that is odd. A violent wind, and tongues on people, and foreign languages, and yet again, for God's people, it's, they're celebrating Pentecost, which again is one of these third major pilgrim festivals, and it's also called the Feast of Weeks which is this idea of it's seven weeks after Passover or 50 days. That's the meaning of Pentecost. And it's the celebration of the first fruits of the crops that they're going to bring in. So it's a kind of a celebration of the first fruits. It's a celebration of what is to come. And they've celebrated this year after year after year. Friends, it's no accident that God set it up, that he would send his spirit upon his people at Pentecost to say, look, here are the first fruits of life with me after Jesus has died as the Lamb of God, has resurrected. This is what this new kingdom life is going to look like. And so they understand that that God is moving. There's great continuity between what God has done in the past and what God is now doing in their midst. It's like this. If Jesus comes back at Easter, I don't know about you, but I won't be surprised. Because you and I have been celebrating the resurrected Savior every Easter for however many years you've been alive or however many years you've been following Jesus. So wouldn't it make sense? I'm making no kind of prediction whatsoever because Scripture says that I don't know that you don't know. If you think you know, you're wrong. Read your Bible. Right? But there's great continuity. That's my point. There's great continuity between God's activity in the Old Testament and then his activity in the New Testament. So here we are. 
this great continuity, and the, the Holy Spirit comes, and as I said before, the amazing, miraculous miracle of Pentecost is not just power, is not just tongues, it is being filled with the Holy Spirit so that the eternal God would unite himself with us. And so as we read there, they began to speak in these foreign languages that they did not know. And we're told that it is both a a prophecy as well as a promise of Jesus. If you remember in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John the baptizer says, hey, look, I am going to baptize you with water, but one greater than me is going to come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to immerse you in God. That's the meaning. Sean did a great job last week talking about this reality that you have been immersed in God. He has come down and united himself with you. Now, we know Jesus came incarnate and Jesus was with us, right? But Jesus was with us in the sense of next to us, next to the first century followers. Here, you have this miraculous movement of God to say that I am actually inside of you. I am eternally uniting myself to you. It was a promise of Jesus in Acts 1.8, as we learned last week. My point here is this, that it was a prophetic word that was fulfilled. It was a promise of Jesus that was fulfilled. And when you begin to be a true student of Scripture, you see time and time again that God always shows up faithful. And I believe that regardless of whatever else I'm going to say in this message, some of you in this room and online need to be reminded that God is faithful to his word. To what he promises you in scripture, he does fulfill. It's often not in our timing. It might not be in the way that we want. But God is, in fact, faithful because he sends his Holy Spirit. Now, you can see in the midst of this miracle with the violent wind and the the tongues of fire resting upon the followers of Jesus that it's God's activity. Pentecost is God's doing. It's nothing that the disciples did. It's not like they had the, the, the right, you know, shaking of the dice and they actually rolled snake eyes or double sevens or whatever the expression would be and all of a sudden said, oh, God says, oh, you hit the magic ticket. I'm gonna come now. It was all God's activity. It was his work. He is the one that's decided I'm going to come and I'm going to unite myself with my followers. It was not in the disciples' activity. It was in God's. And that's why when we look back in 1.8, we see, what does he say? He says, hey, wait in Jerusalem because my spirit's going to be poured upon you and you will be my you will be my witnesses. Now, if you're a witness, do you create the activity? No, right? If I witness a car accident, I just watch it happen. And the police grab my statement and I say, this car hit that car, here's what happened. I didn't create the activity. I'm just a witness to it. God is the one who creates the activity, who says, I want to link myself, I want to unite myself with my people. See, friends, the start of the church starts with the movement of God first, and then his people follow. 
He takes the lead. I love what Willie Jennings says. He says, God, like a lead dancer, is taking hold of her partners, drawing them close and saying, step this way and now this direction. He gives us this beautiful metaphor of saying, God comes in the Holy Spirit to rest in you and on you and through you, and God is the one that's the primary mover. He's the lead in this dance. He's the one orchestrating this life of faith that you have going on with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, any dancers in the room? My wife and I, early in our marriage, we were really into swing dancing back when it was cool and it was new and we were young and still cool and hip and now we're old and that just happens to everybody. (laughs) But we were swing dancing and we were loving it and I just, I learned very quickly from experience Swing dancing is a beautiful thing, and if you know what you're doing and you're leading, then your partner looks like an amazing dancer. If you don't know what you're doing, both of you look like fools. (laughs) And I lean into that metaphor because I'm trying to uh, land for you the reality that you are not the primary mover in your life. See, so many of us are taking time to say, I am the lead dancer of my day. My day starts tomorrow. I got a work week. I got a school week. I got a family week in front of me, and I got to take the lead. The miracle of Pentecost is this reminder that, no, 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 you're a partner in this dance of faith. And if you try to take the lead without God's activity, you're going to look like a fool. Because it's God who takes the lead, and it's him who opens hearts and opens doors. Or maybe phrase that the other way. God opens doors and opens hearts, not us. So what is our part in this dance? What do you and I do in this life of faith with God through Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit? If God has eternally and intimately united himself with you, then how are you to respond? What are you to do in this dance? And I think it's very clear from the first couple chapters of Acts that we get a message that if we're honest with ourselves, you and I don't like very much. Because how many of you really like to wait? How many of us like to watch when somebody else is doing the activity? And how many of us really like to lean into prayer when life gets hard? See, that what I see from God's people is this reality that God is the one doing this great activity of sending his spirit. And you look at, okay, what were Jesus' followers doing? As the partner to the dance, what was their role? And you see them again and again waiting and watching and praying. Think with me back in chapter 1, verse 4. God says, hey, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And then he ascends up into heaven, and they're looking at the sky like, what do we do now? And the angels are like, why are you staring at the sky? Like, Jesus has left, he'll come back in the same way. And I think they're confused. Like us, often. What am I supposed to do today? Right? That's where they find themselves. And I want to challenge you, sometime this week, go and read through the first four chapters of the book of Acts you will find again and again that the people of God and their role in this partner dance with the Holy Spirit is to wait and to watch and to pray. Because look with me over in chapter 1, verse 14. It says, They all join together constantly in prayer, among them with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, which numbered about 120. So here we have it, the apostles, 
We have Mary, the other women who followed Jesus. We have Jesus' brothers. And then we have the rounding out of the disciples that have been following Jesus. And he says, look, there are 120 people hanging out. And they're going, Jesus left. What do we do? And in verse 14, we're told that they gather and pray. And as you read through the first several episodes of the beginnings of the church, you see that the posture of God's people that sets them up for God's divine activity is that they wait and that they pray. Now to you and I, man, we are so quick. I want to do I want to lead. I want to make it happen. And there is a role to that, and we'll talk about that. But it all starts with being people who said, before I do anything, God, I am waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to show up in the lives of my coworkers. I'm waiting for you to show up to my friends at school. I'm waiting for you to open up doors with my neighbors. And then after you do your activity, that I'm leaning in and I am praying and now I'm responding and then going and doing what needs to happen. I had a testimony planned. Uh, Joyce Kelly was going to be with us to talk about her story. Unfortunately, they kind of had a medical emergency within the family and so they couldn't be here tonight, but I got her permission to share her story. As part of our connections team, we thought, man, it would be great to just grow a heart for all people, for our, the part of our team that is really trying to connect new people into our church. And so we sent them out in our meeting, I think the early August, and said, hey, we challenge them. Would everybody do a prayer walk around their neighborhood at least once, this, uh, once a week uh, for the next four or five weeks through the month of August? And, and so Joyce uh, saw our stuff on Instagram and came and joined us, and she began to walk around her neighborhood, taking this posture of, I will pray because God is the one who opens hearts and opens doors. And so she began to pray and say, God, move in our midst, move in my neighborhood. And then she sensed God saying, hey, why don't you post this on next door? Why don't you let your neighbors know that you're walking the neighborhood and praying for them because you care about them? And so she told me, she goes, I did this with intrepidation. I, I did this with fear because how will people respond? Will they be angry? Will they be offended? Will I be canceled for me wanting to walk my neighborhood and to pray? And she, she sensed that this is something that God is asking me to do. And so she went ahead and she posted it on her uh, next door page. Like, hey, just want to let you know I live in the neighborhood and I'm walking and I'm praying. And anybody got any prayer needs, you, you know, you can instant message or DM me. And last time I spoke with her, she had three people who DM'd her significant prayer needs. See, God is the one who opens the door. She didn't have to go knocking door to door. She was just praying. And then as needs arose and God opens doors and open hearts, then she moves in response to saying, great, I'm praying for you. That is the posture as God's people. So the first thing that we see at Pentecost is that God is the one who begins it all in his activity and he comes and he joins us but we also are joined together. Look with me, this is the next section at the miracle of Pentecost. He says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? 
then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Perinthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. And so if the miracle of Pentecost is joining, the first part of that miracle, as I've said many times, is that the eternal God joins himself with you intimately and eternally. The other aspect of this miracle of joining is this reality that the Holy Spirit has come to bring us together. The Holy Spirit has come to unite what has separated us. What you probably don't know is in verse 6, that term to bewilder. In the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible called the Septuagint, that same verb is used in the story of the Tower of Babel. Where if you remember that story, God, the humanity at the time, this is after Noah, they, they say, hey, through brick and mortar, we can build a building to the sky and show our glory and how great we are. And God says, well, we've seen that before. And before I had to wipe everything clean through Noah, everybody's hearts was only wicked all of the time. And now you're getting arrogant and prideful. And it's about glorifying yourself yet again. And so we're not going to have round two of that and so he confuses their language as it's told in Genesis 11. And I believe the verse, yeah, is verse 7. It says, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So God purposefully confuses language, purposefully separates his people for their own good. At Pentecost, when the Spirit comes and they're given this miraculous gift of speaking in tongues, and all of a sudden they're speaking these native languages that these Galilean Jews didn't know, but they're speaking 15 different area languages, basically the kind of almost the whole known world of the time. It's God saying, look, I am purposefully bringing together that which I have separated. I am joining with you so that you can join with each other across all of the things that have now separated you. Because God wants to join us together, and that is part of the gift of the Holy Spirit. That God has joined us together and removed what had separated us. It's reversing the curse of the separation that we see in the garden. Why language? Have you ever thought about that? You ever thought, if God is going to show a physical manifestation of the power of his Holy Spirit presence filling and indwelling his people, why does he use foreign languages and the miraculous ability to speak foreign languages as a manifestation of his presence and power? I mean, he could have lit up the sky, he could have darkened the sun, he could have rode it in the clouds, he could have had all 120 elevate, you know, and levitate for, you know, 30 days. I mean, there's a lot of other ways that he could have expressed, I am Yahweh and I'm with you. Why does he choose language? And I think it's this real reality that when you, t when you think about language, 
It represents more than just words spoken. It's a home. It's a place, right? It's an identity. It's customs. It's things that you and I are familiar with. Have you ever traveled to a foreign country and been around people who do not speak English and you do not speak their language? If you've ever had that experience, you know how isolating and alone you can feel. I remember I went to Japan, I think it was 2012, 2013 that we went, and most of the time we had this amazing translator, and I remember I stepped away from our amazing translator, and I traveled with a Japanese brothers and sisters only for like 15 minutes. If I remember correctly, they were showing me around the grounds of their church, and we were, we were left to like pointing at this and pointing at that and pointing at this. And I was like, uh-huh, and doing the nod and then, you know, speaking really loud in English like that helped somehow. It's really isolating to not be able to speak the same language because it represents so much of who you are and where you grew up and your culture and what you love. And again, I think God does this to be able to say, look, I am bringing my people together in all intimacy, it's very personal. I mean, you can't really have a friend or you can't, I guess, be a good friend to somebody if you can't speak the same language. Friends, the Holy Spirit has come to unite us because as Sean said last week so eloquently, God's plan is to give us his power not that we can use his power over people but that we can use his power in the Holy Spirit for people. But if you and I are separated, and there's a ton that separates us, COVID-19 and our response, wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, Afghanistan, pull out or stay. I mean, you can just go on down the list. I'm not even getting get into the political aisles of which all of us sit. God is saying, my mission, my plan is bigger, it's grander, it's greater. I have given you my spirit, I have united myself to you so that you could be united together across all the things that you allowed to separate you because you share one Lord, one faith, one baptism in the spirit. Ephesians 4, 3 through 6. God, in the miracle of Pentecost, he wants to unite himself to you, and then he wants to take you and say, with my presence, I can unite you to anyone because you're my child and I love you. And so God is in the midst and the work of uniting us. So he unites himself to us. He unites us together for the sake of his mission of joining others to have others join in his great mission of receiving Jesus and receiving salvation. Look with me in verse 11 and 12. He says, Wow, they hear God's people declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Like, what's happening here? And here's Peter. And he stands up and he gives us a model of what does it look like to be a witness? It means that we witness God's activity. And all of you have a witness if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You know the power. You know the depth. You know what it is to be saved by this unconditional grace of Jesus Christ that's not deserved. The Lamb of God who took away your sin brought you into relationship with himself and then said, now I'm going to go send you out as my witness. 
here's Peter. People are going, what is happening? Some of them, as always happens when the Holy Spirit shows up, there's always a crowd of people that say, no, that's only physical. There's no spiritual. They're only drunk. They're only drunk. They're not speaking languages they don't know. Peter stands up. Look with me in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken to the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, or really my slaves, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here is Peter standing up saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Much more is going on here than people being drunk. Let me explain what is happening to you, what what you're seeing here. God is pouring out his spirit in fulfillment of the prophecy that you see in Joel chapter 2, 28 through 32. God is just showing up again and again, being faithful, 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 and fulfilling his promise, bringing his Holy Spirit upon his people. And there's a, there's a couple things here that's happening, again, going back to language. That he's saying, look, it's, it's not going to be just a Jewish thing. I'm pouring my spirit out on all people. All people will experience the reality of God's presence. And there's a uniting factor here and an empowering factor. We see this uniting that I've been talking about again and again. He says, look, the spirit is poured out on everything that has divided, rather gender or age or socioeconomics. It doesn't matter. The spirit is poured out upon everyone which lets us know that this is an activity of God that is going to be for all. That God has come and united himself with us so that others might come and join this movement of God in and through Jesus Christ. And it's true that the Holy Spirit comes and he empowers us. You see it in Peter, and I want to talk about this for a moment, and then I'm going to close. It's this empowering that happens both internally, and then there's a power that expresses itself externally. Because Peter, remember 50 days ago what Peter was doing? Peter was running. I don't know Jesus. No, you're killing him. You're going to kill me. I've never seen the man, never been with the man, never seen him before. Oh, rooster crows three times. I just denied Jesus three times. The fulfillment comes true. See, the Holy Spirit comes and empowers us internally to desire God, to desire the character of Jesus Christ, to desire to be formed into his image. That's part of what the power of the Holy Spirit does. You see it in Peter's life that he could stand up and proclaim, forget it, man, you can take my life. I've got to explain this situation. God has shown up and he's poured out his spirit and it's a fulfillment of what was promised. That's this internal empowering. And all of us are going to experience that as we walk with Jesus Christ. 
The miracle, part of the manifestation of the miracle at Pentecost is the power of God, according to Romans 8, dwelling in you. That regardless of how your lives are being shaken in this moment, you can choose to be faithful to God. But there's also this external power that takes place. Look with me, you see it in verse 18 and verse 19. He says, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. You'll see wonders and signs. See, there's also this reality of this external power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And I know that there are a lot of churches that kind of shy away from these realities. That, that miracles could happen today, that there's a place and a purpose for a prophetic word within the church, and I get it. It's scary, and as leaders, you can't necessarily control it. Prophecy is often subjective, and we often get it wrong, and it can lead the church in errant ways. And so a lot of churches just say it's easier just to ignore, to call prophecy preaching. Friends, there's a Greek word for prophecy, and there's a Greek word for preaching, and they're not the same. I didn't create scripture, and I'm not saying that we're, you know, going to go hog wild and full throttle here at Coastline. We're going to be careful, but what does it mean to be boldly biblical? It means that God is speaking in and through his word, and that's his divine inspiration, that any other utterance that we might think comes from God would sit under. Because he gives us this commandment that we never really study often in, in the church of 1 Corinthians 14.1 which tells us live the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially, especially highlighted by me, prophecy. I don't know. Read your Bible. Think about it. We'll talk about it more later at Coastline. But the reality is we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, after he tells us, hey, you know, uh, Rejoice always, pray continuously, give thanks in all circumstances. Then he says, hey, don't quench the spirit. Don't treat prophecy with contempt. Instead, test it. If it's good, keep it. If it's bad, chuck it and keep following Jesus. That's what I want Coastline to be about. And so you have this empowering from the Holy Spirit to help you go and live a life with Jesus Christ, regardless of what you face this week. And there's an external power that God gets to choose when it shows up. God gets to choose when it takes place. But if the reality is, as it's told in Joel, is that it is an expression of the Holy Spirit showing up. All for the purpose, look with me, let me end with this, verse 21. God empowers us. He unites us to him, he unites us together, and then he sends us on his mission to join him in helping others join his work through Christ. And it says, it's so everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You have been empowered to be a minister, internally and externally. You have been empowered to be God's witness right where he's planted you this week. He's the one that opens doors. He's the one that opens hearts. That's not your activity, but your activity is to wait. God, where are you at work? Your activity is to watch. God, where are you at work in, in and around me? 
And then how do I step in and live like Peter did and give witness? Oh, friends, you're wondering what's happened in your life right now? You're wondering why the wheels are falling off? You're wondering how to understand this question or that question? Let me give you my perspective as a follower of Jesus Christ. And you might feel like you are not empowered to do so. But may I remind you, his power is made perfect in your weakness. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit, because he knew you couldn't do it without him. And so even as you step into what seems awkward, what seems like weakness, if you see God's activity, friends, don't miss it. Step in and trust the living God who has enabled and empowered you through uniting himself to you. I want to invite the worship team up. We're going to continue to worship. I have some reflection questions for us to sit for a moment. Here are the questions I want us to ponder. Where do you need, excuse me, yeah, where do you need to wait and pray? Where are you so busy running ahead of God that you might need to just stop and go, God, you're the one that needs to work first. Where is God opening doors and opening hearts right around you? It's a good question to ask. And then finally, how can you give witness to God's work? When you see doors being opened up, when you see hearts being opened up, thinking about, Lord, how do I give witness to the reality of Jesus Christ in my life? And friends, the miracle at Pentecost is that God says, I am eternally and intimately with you. Step in and don't fear. Go after it. After I've done the work of opening doors and opening hearts. So take a minute, reflect on those questions, and we'll worship together.